0: All right. While you headed back to your seat, grab your Bibles and um, so um somebody give me a give me a opinion tonight. Psalms or revelation? Where are we going? Revelation. Take account. Yes ma'am. Okay. Yeah, they we uh, we we found that out just a few minutes ago. But thank you. All right. So tonight we will be in Revelation. I think chapter six. Where did we get to? Chapter seven. We're in chapters. No, we got to the end of chapter six, didn't we? Yeah, we're ready to start chapter seven tonight. I believe. Yeah, Revelation chapter 7. I'll catch you up here in just a minute. We'll go ahead and read through chapter 7 and then I will help you um, to catch up so that you can see a glimpse of where we're at and how we got here. The question we're going to answer tonight is, um, who can stand? Who can stand through this great tribulation that is coming on the end of the world? In chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, this is what it reads. John says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, and they were holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or any against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea. And He said to them, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, uh, the same from the tribe of Reuben, from Gad, from Asher, from Naphtali, from Manasseh, from Simeon, from Levi, from Issachar, from Zebulun, from Joseph, and 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were all sealed. And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, they said, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes, and they have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat because the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So somebody give me just a little bit of context about how we got to chapter 7. Give me some things that have happened so far in Revelation. Anybody? Okay. So he started out talking to the churches. All right. He saw a, um, a vision that said, um, send these letters to the churches. And, um, he show, and what did we see in the churches? What did we see walking through the churches? Jesus was walking through the churches and He was examining them, right? He was doing an inspection. And then in chapters 2 and 3, basically what you have in Revelation is the results of that inspection. And so he writes letters to the seven churches of Asia, but it represents the fullness of all churches. And basically when you look at each one of those examinations in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, what you find is that we fit into multiple categories of things that he found that were both good in these churches and things that He found that need to be changed in these churches. And so what we find out is that He is warning us today as we read the first three chapters of Revelation that there are things that we can be commended for and there are things that we need to look out for and we need to get right before He comes again. And then what happens at the end of chapter 3 as we go into chapter 4? Mm-hmm. What did you say, Donna? So basically the church age ends at the end of chapter 3. And we go into chapter 4 and the first two words of chapter 4, if you look at it, are after this. And so what we find out is that after the church age, then in chapter 4 through chapter 5, we see the church in heaven around the throne of God receiving their rewards, receiving their crowns. And what does the church do with the crowns? They throw them at the feet of Jesus, right? They say, worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power. We don't deserve this. And so we see this beautiful worship service take place in heaven as the church in its fullness, or at least at that time, is in heaven together receiving their rewards. And then in chapter 6, what do we see happen? Jesus comes and He takes the the deed to the creation, right? Right? the title deed, if you will, to all creation. And it is sealed with seals. And we went back and studied the historical context and we saw that back in this time, if someone purchased something, they sealed the deed with seven witnesses and seven seals, right? And so basically, He was just using an image to say that, that Jesus was going to take this title deed to all creation because He is the rightful owner. And what has He done that makes Him the rightful owner? Huh? He paid for it with His life, correct? He, that's why the Bible says we have been redeemed. What does redeem mean? Paid for, bought something back, right? And so Jesus is the rightful heir and the rightful owner. He is the only one that has provided the sacrifice to be the rightful heir and the rightful owner for all of creation, including all of the redeemed. And then he starts breaking these seals as he opens the title deed to take back uh, what has been usurped or what has been um, the the power and the throne that has been taken to him. And who took it? Who took it? Well, Jesus took it. But who took it from who took it from God to begin with? And how did Satan take it? What did he do? Who did God originally give dominion and power to over all this creation? In the book of Genesis, what did he say? He said, have dominion, have power over all of this. In other words, I give it to you. And then Satan came down and what did he do to man? He took it away from man as man and woman handed it right over to him because they saw that they would believe him rather than believe God. And you can go back to the book of Genesis and read all this. The point being is when we get to chapter 6, Jesus is saying, now the time has come for me to take this world back. And He begins to break each one of these seals. And what happens as He breaks the seal? Judgment. Judgment. The judgment of God pours out as each seal is broken and He begins to take it back. You see a different judgment at every seal that is broken. The first seal, uh, the Bible tells us in chapter 6, was um, a, a rider on a white horse with a bow but no arrows. And he comes and he brings peace to the land. But it's a false peace. In other words, it's a it's it's a rider that's imitating Christ. He comes on a white horse like Christ, wearing a crown like Christ, but it's not a king's crown. It's a crown that people have given to him. He comes with a bow and without any arrows. He doesn't come with a sword on his side like Christ does. And so what we see in the first seal is we see someone who rises up in the world to become... A, um, a Savior of the world, if you will, and everyone looks at Him and they believe that He is the Christ. But this is who? The Antichrist. And He brings peace for a time. You remember a study in that He makes a covenant with Israel for how long? Three and a half years. And we went back to Daniel and studied that. You can find that in Daniel chapter 9. But He goes back and He makes a peace covenant with Israel for three and a half years and He says, I'm going to let you worship in your temple and I'm going to let you make sacrifice. And basically, they believe He is is the Messiah now because He's come and He's restoring Israel or so they think. But then what happens when the second seal is open in Revelation chapter 6 verse 3? He takes peace. The next writer comes and He takes peace from the earth. And now all of a sudden we have war that breaks out. And after that happens and people slay one another, in verse 5, when the third seal comes open, we see that this rider brings famine after this. And usually what is it that usually follows war? Famine usually follows war. Bread lines. Um, uh, there is there is a... a um, There's a limit that's put on the food and how much food you're able to buy. And basically, He says here that you're going to work for a whole day and for a day's pay, you can have enough to feed one person for a whole day's pay. Or you can buy horse food or dog food and you can get enough to feed three people with horse food or dog food. But that's basically your, the, what's going to take place on this earth after that, uh, after the third seal. And then what happens in the fourth seal in verse 7? He says here that he saw another writer that says, This rider was death, and the grave followed after him. Because what happens when world war breaks out and famine breaks out and disease breaks out? Death and the grave follow. And then um, finally, in or not finally, but next in verse 9, when the fifth seal opens, then we see that. There are going to be people that are martyred uh, during this time. Then in the, let me find it, the 12th verse, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree shed its winter fruit when shaken by massive wind. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the rich, the powerful, everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, saying, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, because the great day of their wrath has come. And then notice the last question, who can stand? So judgment comes to the earth finally. And basically what we see happening here at the end of chapter 6 is a question is asked, who in the world can stand through this? Who can make it through world war like we've never seen before? Who can make it through famine and um, disease and pestilence and and who can make it through um, the death and the grave that is going to claim so many? And then finally, when you get to the very end of it, and the the heavens unleash on earth, basically, he looks. The writer looks at this and he says, "Who in the world?" is going to be able to survive this? Is anybody going to be able to survive this great tribulation? Chapter 7 is the answer. And so in chapter 7 verse 1, he says this, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or the sea or against any tree, And then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm it. Don't harm anything until we have sealed the servants of our Lord. So I'm going to sum this up for you. Basically, here's what's happening. The question has been asked, who is going to be able to stand through this? Now the angel comes in and he says, here's who's going to be able to stand. Before God allows them to unleash hell on this earth, He's going to seal a particular group. He's going to put His mark on them. They are His servants so that nothing is able to harm them. So no matter... How close the stars get to killing them that's not going to kill them, it's not going to harm them, it's not going to touch them. They have the protection of Almighty God on their life for a purpose and a reason. Now the question we have to ask is, who is this? Who are the 144,000? Because how many of you know that uh, the Jehovah's Witness claim that they are the 144,000? Now what's the problem with that as of today? (laughs) There's about two or three million of them, right? They got a problem. We have preached all these years that there's only 144,000 that's going to make it right here. We got a few more than that now. And so I don't believe that they're interpreting it correctly. So who are the 144,000? According to the text, who are they? That's right. The original Jewish nation. We're not talking about spiritual Israel here, like we've talked about in the past. He points out very plainly that these are the the um, the from every there's 144,000 from every tribe of the sons of Israel, and specifically there are 12,000 from every tribe. Now I want to show you just a little bit about uh, about where we see this at so that we can understand how we got here. Now some of you can remember when I taught this here a while back on who Israel is. Y'all remember that? So you'll remember some of this. And you remember that we said in that that there was a partial hardening and a blindness that had come on Israel for a period of time. Y'all remember that? But then there was going to come a day that Paul said God is going to lift this hardness and this blindness and the original tribes of Israel are going to be able to see Jesus for who He is. This is who I believe that we've got here. But let me give you just a little bit of context so that you can see it. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 through 3 for just a minute. I'm going to pull it up on my phone where I can get to them a little bit quicker. Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 through 3. First, I want you to notice the call of Israel to the begin with. The first call of Israel came through Abraham. All right, I want you to notice what God calls him to do. In verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go or get out of your country, get out of your kindred, get out of your father's house and go to a land that I will show you. And here's what I'm going to do for you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So basically what we have here is God is saying, if you'll trust Me, You'll put your faith in Me. You'll follow Me. You step away from everything you know and follow Me by faith. I am going to bless you. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to make a great city out of you. I'm going to make a um, a, a name out of you that that is a great name. And then through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. So you see what... Israel was ultimately supposed to do. They were supposed to be a piece of conduit that God's blessing ran through and the whole world was blessed as they saw the faith in God lived out in their lives, right? Why, Why did God have to do this? Go back with me to Genesis chapter 11. One chapter back and look at verse 4. You remember when the people gathered together and they were going to build a tower all the way to the heavens, right? Do you remember why they were going to do this? Well, let's read it and see. Starting in verse, uh, let's actually start in verse 3. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and, and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build what? Ourselves. Now, what did God say to Abraham? I'm going to make you a great city. Here's the problem with us in our sin. God, we don't need you. We got this. We will make ourselves a great city. Keep reading with me. And then He says, the next part, and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us do what? Let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over all the face of the earth. And then look at verse 5. I love this. And the Lord what? Now remember, they're going to make this tower in this city so that the whole world knows about their name and who they are. But God sitting on high, what does He have to do to even see it? Let me... Let me get down there where I can see this great name y'all have and this great city that you have. And so here's what God does. He, He sees a world full of people who want to do for themselves. They don't want God in their life. They don't want God telling them what to do, how to do it. They don't want to follow God. They don't believe God. And so what does He do to turn this around? He finds a man and He says to this man, Come out of everything you know and everything that is about you. Go to a land that I will show you, and I will make your name great, and I will make you a great city, and I will bless you and bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And then through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So you see how God turned this around. And basically, where the world was leading more people, they said, come everybody, come. And here's what we're going to do. Together, we're going to make ourselves great. God, on the other hand, changes it and He makes a witness out of Abraham. And He says, Abraham, follow me and I will do this to you. And then as I do this... You will be a witness to the world so that through your faith and through the faith that you have, the world will see it. They will follow me in faith. And as they follow me in faith, the whole families of the earth shall be blessed. But what did Israel do? Were they the light of the world? They became the haves and we were the have-nots. They said they didn't see themselves as the conduit that God runs through. They just saw themselves as the blessed. They failed in this. And so God chose, if you, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2. Again, I'll pull it up on my phone in case you don't get to it in time. But Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2, God said this to Israel. I'm sorry, 14, too. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. He said, I have chosen you out of everybody because you are the group that I'm going to turn this thing around in instead of the world calling people to sin and walk away from God even further You are going to be the ones that live in such a way that you call the world to follow the God that you follow. All right? But that's not what they did. Instead, they became the ones that everyone else was outside and we were the only ones that were inside. So they failed at this. Now go to Romans chapter 10, verse 19 through 21. Because this is how you're going to understand. what's happening in Revelation chapter 7. Alright, so just track with me. Romans chapter 10 verse 19 to 21. Paul has been explaining about how the gospel has now went out to the Gentile world instead of just to the Israel, to the Jewish nation. And so in verse 19, he says, "...but I ask, did Israel not understand?" Because remember, they rejected the gospel, right? Matter of fact, not just rejected it, they killed Him. They killed the Savior of the world. "...but I ask, did Israel not understand?" First, Moses says, "...I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation." That's what he said to Israel. "...with a foolish nation I will make you angry." Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek Me. I have shown Myself to those who did not ask for Me. But of Israel, he says this, All day long I have held out My hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. So here's the point I'm trying to make from this Scripture. Israel had a job to do, right? They were the ones that God was going to use to turn this thing around. They failed. Because of their failure, now God is fixing to to turn this thing loose to the world where the world was supposed to be blessed through Israel, right? Now God turns this thing around and He sends the gospel to a nation that did not ask for Him, to the Gentile nations. Now go with me to Romans chapter 11, verse 7 and 8. We'll skip down just a little bit for sake of time. Paul says, "What then? Has Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking? The elect obtained it, but the rest were what? Hardened. So there was a select group of Israel, there were the Abrahams, the Isaac, the Jacobs, there were the Davids and the Solomons, and there were the mo you know there was a select group. But the rest were hardened. Why? Look at verse 8. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Now go down with me to verse 25. Again, for sake of time only. Go down to Romans 11 verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. This is a mystery, all right? A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob or from Israel and this will be My covenant with them when I take their sins away. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. In other words, for the Gentiles' sake, for mine and your sake. God has hardened them, God has blinded them so that we can come in. But as regards election or God's chosen, the one that God said, I choose this nation to be a treasured possession... But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. For the gifts and the calling of God are what? They can't be taken back. They're irrevocable. He's going to save Israel, All right, He's going to. And then in verse 30, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, So, they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. So, here's the point that I'm trying to make in this. We'll look at a few more scriptures. God has allowed Israel to be disobedient, to be hardened, and to be blind, basically, to the gospel for a period of time because through this, this brings the gospel to you and I. And this is a mystery. We don't understand the fullness of this. That's the reason Paul said, Let me tell you about this mystery. But there is coming a time when God is going to remove this hardness, remove this blindness, and there is a remnant of, of Israel, as Paul calls it in uh Romans chapter 9. Look at Romans chapter 9, verse um 27 and 29. So again, Paul basically says here, there is a remnant of Israel. Even though they're like the sands of the sea, only a remnant of them is actually going to be saved. And it's going to happen whenever God removes this blindness and this hardness from their eyes. Look with me, if you will, at um, Revelation chapter 7 again. And I want you to notice in verse 4, he says, And I heard the number of the sealed 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. It is at this moment that now that the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and you know how they've come in? Through the rapture, right? Now, who can stand through this tribulation? 144,000 that God lifts the blindness, that God lifts the hardening off of them and He allows them to be able to see. Um, In uh, Zechariah chapter 12, uh, and I'm not going to go through all of these scriptures. There's just a few I want to point out to you. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10. We see a prediction of this from Zechariah. Listen to this. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. And on that day, the mourning that is in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning that was in hadad Remon in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn for itself. And it goes on and on and on. But the point of this being is that there is coming a day that has been predicted that God is going to lift this blindness and lift this hardness. And Israel, true ethnic Israel, a remnant of them are going to be able to see the one whom they pierced. And what did it just say? What I read to you? What are they going to do when they see Him? They're going to mourn. You know why they're mourning? You know why they cry? Ethan Peterson. (coughs) They mourn and they cry because now they see what they have been blinded to, what they have been hardened to this whole time. Now just for context, if you want to go back later and read Isaiah chapter 53, that's what Isaiah 53 is about. It is actually a prediction of this remnant of Jews that their eyes are going to be opened and they are going to actually um, mourn over Jesus. And they're going to say things like, we didn't know it was Him. He was like a root that came out of dry ground. I mean, we we had no clue that that we thought he was struck and, and smitten by God. And that's what you read when you go down through Isaiah 53 is this group that looks back and they say, We had no clue. We didn't know. But now they understand it and now they know. All right, so this is what we see. Go ahead. That them, that's going to be counted in the middle of the tribulation when they will be able to be saved in the last three and a half years of that aspect. It seems like that could be the timing of it. Now again, I I, I can't say 100% certain, but I do believe that when you put it in its places that it seems to fall in that in that category. But, and especially since he says who can survive this, um, or no, it's in the end of chapter seven. He says these are the ones that are coming out of great tribulation. So we know that Jesus described the last three and a half years as the great tribulation. And so that's another indicator that it very well could be. That's right. No, that's fine. So basically, here's what you get in, um, in Revelation chapter seven again. Basically, we see that he seals one hundred and forty-four thousand, a remnant of the servants of God, and he's going to to make sure that they cannot be harmed during this time because they have a special part that they're going to play. All right, and then in um, if you were to look at Revelation chapter fourteen verse one, you'll notice what this seal is. Just in case you were wondering, somebody tell me what the seal is in Revelation chapter fourteen verse one. What? How are they sealed? That's right. With His name and His Father's name. They've got the name of Jesus in their forehead and they've got the name so that when destruction comes, and apparently at the beginning of Revelation chapter 7, we see that the angels bring this destruction, right? They're holding back this. And we know that they are the ones that carry out the judgment of God for Him. And so we see that basically the reason why they're not harmed is because these angels are able to see These have the name of Christ and the name of God on their forehead and they're not going to be touched by any of the harm that is coming onto this stuff. The next thing that we see in this is that they are from every tribe of Israel. And so we know that they are Jews. Now there are some people that interpret this and say the 144,000 is just a generic number that represents the wholeness of the whole church. I don't believe that can be true because this specifically says they are Jews. And so I believe that this is the remnant. I believe we're right to interpret it this way. All right. They also have a special calling on their lives. In uh, Revelation chapter 14 verse 4 and 5, you were just there, but let me read that to you again. Verse 4, it says, It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as the first fruits of God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. And so we have a special calling on these guys' life. Basically, what you have here is you have 144,000 Apostle Pauls. You remember what Apostle Paul did to the world as he, you remember what uh, anybody that remembers the study of Acts, um, what did they say about the Apostle Paul? What had he done to the world? turned it upside down. One man with just a few trainees that he had turned the entire world upside down. What do you think 144,000 of them can do during this time? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 just um, for context again, for Paul's sake. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Starting with verse six through eight. Paul says to this church, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. So this is what he fixing to describe is something that Paul is, right? But each has his own gift from God and of one kind and one of another. Verse 8, To the unmarried and the widows I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. As I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. The point being that I'm making here is that the Apostle Paul... Recognize the reason I can say these 144,000 are like the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul says very plainly, right here to this church, he had a gift from God to remain single. And everybody don't have this gift, all right? I ain't that guy. But some people have it. And he says here, Paul said, I would suggest to you that if you want to serve the Lord, this is a good gift to have. If you have this gift, do this because Paul recognized that this was one way he was able to turn the world upside down because of that gift he had to focus on nothing but the things of the Lord. That's the reason why I believe it mentions that they were virgins. Now go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32 through 35. And you'll see why. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the world how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried, and so anyway, the point being again here, is he's just explaining. He's not saying it's wrong to get married. He's not. It's a good thing. If God says that marriage is good, then marriage is good, right? But here he's just making a point. If you really want to serve the Lord... Imagine 144,000 that have no relationship whatsoever except one. Just one. And that's what these guys are going to be doing. And so they are gifted to be sold out to the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so look with me now for another scripture at Zechariah chapter 8, verse 23 again. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 23. And I'll read it to you in case you have trouble. That's a hard book to find sometimes. It says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Here's what Zechariah testifies to. In the end days, Israel is going to become what God called them to, become to begin with. And ten men from every nation is going to take hold of the robe of a single Jew. Just one. And he is going to say, Please lead us to your God. Because we see that God is with you. And think about that. Don't that make sense? If all hell is breaking loose on earth, literally... But none of these guys are being touched. What do you think they're going to do? Ten guys for every hundred. You do the math. What's 144,000? You do the math. Ten for every one of them. That's going to be a bunch, right? All right, so basically here's what you've got taking place in this. 144,000 are marked. Now go down with me to verse 9 of chapter 7. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from where? See, a lot of people interpret this and say, okay, the 144,000 and the great multitude are the same. They can't be. He specifically identifies the 144,000 as Jews, right? This one, He specifically identifies the great multitude that He sees in heaven as people from every nation. Now remember what we just read in Zechariah about the ten men from every nation? Here's what you see happening in chapter 7. Who can stand during this tribulation? 144,000 that God marks. Who else is going to make it through and make it to heaven through this? A multitude that you can't even number because from all the nations they're going to be witnessed to by this 144,000 Apostle Pauls. But they are going to come through great suffering. Now these Jews, 144,000, they can't be touched, right? However, the ones that they save... Will be. Look with me at Revelation chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these? And he's talking about this great multitude from every nation now, okay? Who are these? They're clothed in white robes, and where have they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So they've been saved, right? There are going to be a lot of people saved during the tribulation time, but through great torment. Keep reading in verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger, what? That tells you they've been through the famine. They hadn't been able to feed their families. They've been through the pestilence. And then it says, they shall not thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them. It lets us know that there's going to be something. You you know, they say the ozone is beginning to deplete and the sun, right? I don't know if that has anything to do with this or not, but the sun ain't going to strike them no more nor any scorching heat. Why? Verse 17. Because the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The point being is this. Basically what you have taking place here are two groups of people. The first group is the 144,000 that God puts a mark and a seal on because He promised Long ago, that even though there's going to be a partial hardening and a partial blinding on Israel because they reject Him, there's coming a day when I'm going to lift that and I'm going to let them see. And through this, they are going to minister to the world and they're going to tell the world about Jesus and about how they didn't see it and they didn't believe it. And people from every nation... Even though it's in the middle of a great tribulation, people from every nation are going to be ministered to through this 144,000 and some other ways that we're going to see in chapters to come, but mainly through this 144,000 Jews. And they're going to grab a hold of the robe of these Jews because of the suffering that they're going through. And they're going to say, please show us your God. Tell us about your God because we know that He is with you. And then ultimately, they're going to die. Not the 144,000, but the great multitude that is saved from all nations. And they're going to die as a result of probably martyrdom. Why do I say that? Look with me at Revelation chapter 6. I think it was. Is it Revelation 6? Yes, Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, and you see what happens um, in the Great Tribulation. And remember, all this we're reading in chapter 7 takes place during the Tribulation, all right? So when we read chapter 6, we're talking about chapter 7 still. In verse 9 of chapter 6, notice what it says When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Why? For the Word of God and for the witness that they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before You will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given a what? All right, hold your place there. Go back to Revelation chapter 7 verse um, 13 again. Because we're coming back to 6, but just go to verse 13 again. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these? What? Just putting the pieces together for you, that's all. Now go back with me to verse 11 in chapter 6. They were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So we see there that there is going to be a massive multitude of Christians During this great tribulation, they are going to come to Christ and be saved as a result of the sealing of the 144,000 Jews. And then they are going to be killed for their faith. And then they are going to be in heaven in their white robes. And basically what you see take place, go to the end of chapter 7 with me. Chapter 7 verse... Verse 8, uh, verse, I'm sorry, let's go to chapter 8, verse 1, and we'll pick up here next week. We'll close with this. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with what? The prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with the fire from the altar. Remember, what was the fire? What was the incense? The prayers of the saints, right? And He fills it with all their prayers and look what He does with it. He throws it onto the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. The point being is that all of these that are killed, along with all the prayers that have ever been prayed, God avenge me for what the enemy has done to me. All the prayers that have ever been prayed, they're standing before God. Remember what what these guys said to God in Revelation chapter 6? They said, God, how long? How long before you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? He said, just just a little while longer. And now here we get to the end of chapter 7 and the seventh seal is open and God says, okay, and the way He unleashes hell on earth is He takes all the prayers that have ever been prayed, every tear that has ever been shed, every wrong that has ever ever been done through the enemy. And He takes all those prayers and He fills a censer up with it and He throws it down to the earth. And here comes fire and thunder and lightning and judgment and hell breaks loose on earth because He avenges all the wrongs that have ever been done. So the point of the whole chapter 7 is just simply this. There is a time of tribulation that is coming. Now, as I say this, I want to make sure I make this very clear. If we're interpreting this right, we should not be here during this time. However, there are ways of interpreting that I see and I can go, okay, I can understand that and I can see that, that People say that there's not necessarily two comings of Christ. That's the way we see it with the rapture. We see that Jesus kind of makes an appearance on the clouds, calls us home, and then He finally actually returns in His second coming. Many see it as one event. When He comes to call the church home, it's because He's calling us to come with Him and here we go. We're ready for war. I'm not saying who's right and who's wrong. Hopefully, we're going to be gone when the great tribulation gets here. That's my I really believe that's the way to interpret it. Either way, there is a great tribulation coming. And anyone who is still alive during that time is going to go through a very difficult time. The ones that are going to be saved, according to my understanding here, are going to be ministered to through 144,000 Jews that God seals and opens their eyes and allows them to see Jesus. And they mourn over the fact that they didn't believe in Him to begin with. And because of their witness, the entire world hangs on their robes and says, show us your God. Tell us about your God. We know your God is with us. And through them, all the world is blessed like it was supposed to take place in Genesis chapter 12 right? My question is this. If you are a Christian and you believe in the rapture, are you ready if that were to take place here soon? My second question is this. If you are a Christian and we are here during the Great Tribulation, are you willing to give your life for your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because it may come to that. And I think that we have to make a decision right now to understand I don't just say I believe this. If it comes down to me being suffering and tormented for my faith, so be it. I will not deny Him. That's my point. In this tribulation... You imagine you work all day long and you got enough to buy one meal. What happens if you've got a few kids and a wife? We're talking about tough times that take place during this tribulation period. But I truly believe that if we are born-again believers, we're going to be ready either way. If it's time for us to go, we're going to go when Jesus comes back if, if we're here during the tribulation, then so be it. We'll be here and we will stand firm through it all, whichever the case may be. No, that's right. That's right. All right. Any questions? That's, and this is one of the most difficult subjects we have. So if you got this tonight, you're doing a pretty good job. Most people would come in here this and um, if they don't have much Bible knowledge, they'd listen to this tonight and go, I'm out. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm done. But if you can grasp this and you can understand this, this is some of the most difficult stuff that we study and try to understand. And as Paul said in Romans, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. We don't fully get it yet. But when it takes place, we, as we said in the, the prayer tonight, farther along, we'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. Any questions? That's it. They are not saved unless they are the elect, as He said it in here. There is certain ones that that He calls the elect. Now, I'm not trying to get into those doctrines tonight. How that takes place is up to God. But there is a, a group that just like Abraham was, just like Isaac, Jacob, Moses, um, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha. Um, we can go way down that list, but there have always been Um, And Elisha thought he was the only one at one time. You remember that? Elisha went to the mountain of God and he said, God, they've killed them all. I alone am left. There ain't ain't nobody else in Israel that's left for you. You remember what God told Elijah? There's 7,000 people that have not bowed the knee to Baal that you don't know nothing about. I got 7,000 people following me that you don't know anything about. And so ultimately, um, God knows who's His and who's not. But yes, to answer your question, yes, they're just like any Gentile that dies today that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They will not inherit eternal life. Yeah, but they got free choice. Maybe. Y'all are getting into, I'm telling you, y'all are getting into, y'all are getting into doctrines that we are going to be here for the next few hours, all right? That's right. That's right. You know, let me say this. I'll I'll sum it up with this. We have free will as far as God opening our eyes and being able to see our need for Him. I do believe that um, when we are born, we are born with, in, with our will in bondage. Now what I mean by that is this is that we are born sinners. We are born dead in our sins. Now you know what does it mean to be dead? I mean you can kick, you can do whatever you want to do, All right? When he says we're dead in our sin, he means, as far as to spiritual things, you have no ability, nothing in you. To be able, so that is why I disagree with free will, just because of the fact that until God comes and the Holy Spirit, the Bible says no man can come to me unless. So I believe, and Second Corinthians says that that God's just. Second Corinthians put it like this: In Genesis, when God said, "Let there be light," what happened? There was light. Second Corinthians, chapter four, the Apostle Paul uses that same. Image to lay it beside of how we're saved. And he said, the same God that said, let there be light has also shown the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ into our hearts so that we may be saved. And so I do believe that there comes a time in our lives that, that God says, let there be light. And when He does, He opens Bobby's eyes and He opens Bobby's heart. And Bobby is able to see, I am a sinner. Under the wrath of God, and He draws Bobby to Him through the Holy Spirit. At that moment, I believe Bobby has free will, free will, because he can see both ways. You see what I'm talking about? No man can go except He That's right. That's my point. So, but to to, to get into the where uh, where Melinda is going to, yes, when God says He hardens some, I mean we that's where Rome, Romans chapter nine falls into place there was he was arguing with this imaginary jew all right and he says to him he says um god is the great i am and he says i will have mercy on whomever i will have mercy and i will harden whomever i will harden and you remember what that imaginary jew said that's not right and paul looked back and said but who are you o man to argue with god Does the potter not have power to do with the same lump of clay and make one vessel for honor and one vessel for dishonor? Does he? If Bobby wants to, can he take a lump of clay and can he make one vessel to boil water in and one vessel to hold beautiful flowers? If he wants to, he can. And is he wrong for doing that? Is he wrong for making this pot to sit on the stove and boil all the time? Why? Because he's the potter. You know, most people get that get that twisted. So they say if he chooses some for potter, then he chooses some people to go to hell, but we were going there anyway. That's right. He didn't choose for anybody to go to hell. But if you want fair, then we all go to hell. That's right. If you want fair, we all go to hell. That's exactly right. You don't want fair. What do you want? I want mercy. I want grace. And so ultimately, like I said, we can get into different doctrines tonight. All I can tell you is this. If God has opened your eyes to see the gospel of uh, Jesus Christ and you have been saved, you are to praise His holy name. (laughs) You are to be thankful that He has chose you to be a vessel of honor. And the thing we need to understand is that's not up to us to decide. I don't know who God's vessels of honor are. Matter of fact, some of y'all, I wouldn't have chosen. <laughs> <looking at> me. <laughs> but some people wouldn't have chosen me. Many years ago, and people still say it today, Kevin Wells is a preacher. He said it about Nick King. Nick King is a preacher? And you know all I can say? There you go. I don't understand it. I don't know how it happened but I know I thank Him for it. I thank Him for it. I don't get to choose who God chooses who don't. My job is one thing, preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. And God is the one who chooses who's saved and who's not saved. And that's not in my hands. All right? And um, and I get to teach and train and and love. That's right. That's right. All right. Any more questions tonight? Thank you all so much for your time and your attention. And um, we will be back in the Psalms. For those of you all that wanted the Psalms, we'll be back in Psalms Sunday morning and then we'll go back to Revelations next Wednesday night. Revelations chapter 8. We're going to look at this silence in heaven. Silence for half an hour. That's interesting to me. All right. Let's close in a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank You tonight for Your Word. God, we thank You that... um Lord, there are many things about You and Your ways that are so much higher than ours, and we cannot fathom them. Father, they're mysteries. Father, we can't understand You. Um, and if we could, You wouldn't be God. So Father, I just thank You tonight for Your Word that just shows us who You are, that reveals some of these mysteries to us and helps us to see part of what You're doing. And Father, I pray tonight that You would not... Um, have us put You in a box as for us to determine what You should or should not be. Father, I pray that You would give us a heart and eyes to just listen to Your Word and Father, just to believe that who You say You are, You are. Whether I think it's good... Lord, You're not not held to my standard of good and bad. (laughs) Lord, I'm not the standard of what's right and wrong. You are. And so Father, I thank You tonight that You are who You are. And Father, I just pray that You would give me the faith to just to just believe what Your Word says and and not try to add to it or take away from it, to just surrender to it and to praise You for it. And Father, I thank You tonight, God, that Lord, um, I, I pray that every one of us in here are part of Your chosen, part of Your saved. And God, I have no clue why You would choose me to be a vessel of honor. But God, I thank You for it. Father, I thank You for the ones that You have called here tonight and you've out of the same lump that You made Pharaohs and out of the same lump that You made so many sinners that are going to spend eternity in hell. Father, You made us to be vessels of honor for You. And Father, I just give You praise and I give You thanks for it. And God, I just pray that You would use us to continue to spread Your Word that, Lord, we can be like those 144,000 as much as possible, God, that, that people can see You through our lives. Father, I pray that they would want to follow You because of what they see in us. Father, I pray tonight that, um, Lord, that You would just um, uh, help us to, um, to be ready. Help us to be watching and to to be waiting for Your return, God, whether that's in a rapture or, Father, whether that's when You come again, Father, whichever the case may be. I just pray that You would just help us, God, to be watching and waiting. Father, we have Your warning and Your Word to be watching and to be ready. Father, I pray that You would help us to do that. Father, I just thank You again for, um, for Your Son. Lord, He is the one that is worthy of all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. Lord, salvation belongs to Him. And Father, we give You thanks for Your Son tonight. And Father, we praise You for the sacrifice that He made. God, forgive us. Forgive us for our great sinfulness, God. We still have so far to go, so much to grow in. But God, thank You for Your mercy. Thank You for Your grace, God. And Lord, we owe everything to You. Father, be with us now as we get ready to go. You keep us safe. And um, Father, just bring us back together Sunday morning, if it be Your will. Father, we love You. We praise You. And we ask You for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.